Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest from the other side of the country. Is it cold over there, by the way, Jason? Are you, is it pretty cold? A little bit. For Californians, you know, anything below 70 is cool. Anything below 70 is cool. Jeez, I'm jealous. All right. Hey, I have Jason Silbenberg with me. Jason, what's going on? How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Good, good. I'm super excited, man. You are the first podcast that I get to do in this new studio. So I'm actually really, really pumped to, to get this to get this going. Well, I'm honored. I'm honored to be the first for the studio. Look at that. Hey, Jason, for everyone out there that's watching, listening right now, and uh, maybe don't know much about you or kind of how you got started in the industry, I always like to start off these podcasts with a little origin story because I'm actually always very curious on how people get started. So what is the origin story of Jason getting started in the industry? Okay. Well, I, you know, I, I have oil in my in my blood. Um so my, my father owned car dealerships, um, worked in them uh, during high school from sales managers uh, to the beginning of kind of like the internet. Uh, and, and so I, I knew the workings of, of the dealership and, you know, went, went to university, got into tech, uh, 20 years in, in, in technology companies. Uh, one of the companies uh, that I was part of, uh, five of us, we turned it into about 180 people in about 18 months. But uh, we <laughs> built the first uh, content management system for mobile network operators when they were rolling out the 3G network. You remember when we all had a Nokia, right? Oh, um, yeah, I had a few. N80, N- N85, no iPhone, no Android. Um, and, uh, you know, the network operators are trying to figure out a way how can they monetize on on their network now that people can you know people have the ability to download and, and view content um so we started bringing in content and then handling the retailing part of it so for t-mobiles 180 carriers across the world um and you know it taught us a lot and so you know kind of fast forward right you know we we're dealing with mobile back in 2004 2005 but here we are in 2021 and the mobile device is, is now kind of a personalized entertainment hub. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it is by far the default browsing device for consumers today, right? And we look at automotive traffic, you know, 60, 70% of, of your traffic is, is going to be mobile. So, um, you know, how I got into this is after, you know, 15 plus years working in, in the telco world, um, you know, we moved back from living in London at the time, moved back to LA from London and went went to a friend's dealership to buy a car and um, nothing, nothing had had changed. Everything was the same, right? They pulled out a four square 2008 and I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, at that point we decided, Hey, I think it would be a good idea if we try to build a a, a platform to allow consumers to buy a car online. And and that was initially what NAB that was, was really one of the first online portals for consumers to buy a car online. Um, And that was in 2013. And, uh, uh, quickly, we we uh, you know we were able to see that our cost of acquisition was really high, and um, as we were getting more and more 
relationships with dealers, we, we started noticing how inadequate their website was. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up deciding to pivot the company in, in 2017 and am building real technology for, for dealerships. And so here we are with uh, you know, uh, four years now with an award-winning website platform that is built on, you know, some of the best tech that is out there in, in, in the world today. And, and we're really proud of that. That's awesome. In fact, like the fact that you bring up 2013, like, I mean, I remember it, the fact that you guys were working on this in 2013 is impressive because I mean, I remember in 2013 having conversations with people and trying to literally convince them all right, the importance of just digital marketing. Oh, no, I'm going to do my newspaper stuff. I don't need to do any of that. And I mean, look, I mean, I had some dealerships that even had, didn't even have a website up until 2006, 2007, you know, and going into 2010 really is like is when you really started to see it. In 2010 is actually, I remember, is when you actually started to see some titles that had something to do with the internet. And it's like, this is when you knew something was going on, right? But I think the importance of a dealership's website from early 2000s to mid 2000s and then today has drastically changed. I mean, just drastically changed. I mean, like the first website, just a glorified brochure, uh, a listing of an address and a phone number. And uh, yeah, we sell these things, give us a call, you know? And then we put inventory. Oh my gosh, it took us a decade, a decade to convince the industry that they should put their bloody inventory on it. And still occasionally I run into that one person that goes, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, and now we're in this decade of digital retailing and doing more transactions online. You guys were early to that, but I'd love to kind of get your thoughts of what you think the importance of a dealership's website is and what are the opportunities, you know, today. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, number one, everything is happening digitally, right? And uh, consumers, you know, the first place of interaction is going to happen with your website before they come in physically. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there, there's a ton of importance there when you look at it from that aspect. Uh, in in addition to that, um, you know, I I think you know dealers need to kind of you know also realize that. Um, you know, their website is the, is a, is a place where that, you know, they can vocalize and uh, inform the consumer about any offers that they have, anything that they want them to be aware of it, it, You know, you gotta, you gotta really uh, utilize that medium um, to the full extent. And I, and that, that's really important. And, and I, I think one of the other things that we always look at trends, right? We, we look at trends outside of automotive um, and KPMG, comes out with a uh, great article every year talking about, you know, digital, you know, uh, shopping patterns and and behavior around different generations. And, um, you know, one of the things that they look at is attribution. Why do people buy where they buy from uh, online? And, um, you know, I think we can all kind of figure out number one will be, will be price. Right. Uh, But number two, right, right behind it is the preferred website. Right. So, you know, consumers want to have an experience when they come into a website and, and, and that bodes with any website, a shopping site or a, or a dealership site. They want to be able to be entrenched into an experience when they're there. And it's important for dealers to kind of understand that. No, oh, I look, I, I love the fact that you bring up the experience because it, it is our first impression of, of a company. You know, when I, when I first launched, my, my agency, I called it Digital Dealership Solutions, and it's still named that today. 
And it, it was in the, in the intent behind that name was to get them to understand that this is their digital dealership. And the value that you should be putting on that is equal to your physical dealership, if not necessarily more. I'm, a, a digital locate, a digital dealership can get thousands and thousands and thousands of unique visitors a month. And you might get 10% of that or 20% of that um, actually at your physical location. But we'll spend millions and millions and millions of dollars investing into a physical location. But then we want to go out and buy the dollar ninety nine McDonald's version of yeah. a digital ver <laughs> digital one, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and, I, and that comes back down to, you know, the, the whole idea of, you know, the industry, people in the industry kind of touting that lead forms are dead. Um, lead forms aren't dead. Right. I mean, uh, dealerships have to realize that their website is their number one lead generator. Right. And mm -hmm. when we talk about lead generator, you know, it is their number one medium when it comes to sales. Right. Service and sales comes from the dealership website. Um, and you have to, you know, you have to look at it from that perspective. You know, that is your number one salesperson is your website. Exactly. And uh, in, in opportunities. Right. You can't you can't sell a car without what? A person and you can't communicate with a person if you don't have their information and, and your website is there to extract information in order for you to have an opportunity to sell a car and um, you got to look at it that way right how can I create as you know how can I create um, as many opportunities as, as, as possible from the traffic that I'm getting into my site and if you look at it from that perspective things become a little more clear on the objectives that you're trying to have and I love the fact that you call them out opportunities, you know, like, you know, what's funny is I'm aging myself now, but I, <laughs> I remember, all right. When I was, when I, the very first dealership website report I got, all right, did not have the word leads anywhere written on it. All right. We called them, yeah. they were either, either called form fills or inquiries. That's all they were. That's, yeah. that's all they were. Someone filled out a form or somebody inquired about something at some point in time in our industry, and it was probably, you know, agencies that love to screw stuff up, right? We're like, oh, wait, let's call these leads because there's this mental perceived value that's more versus just an inquiry. But in reality, it's, it's inquiry slash opportunity. That's what it is. It's an opportunity to have a bloody conversation. And hopefully that conversation will turn into a chance where you can generate an actual lead, an appointment, a, a scheduled face-to-face, -face, right, where you can engage with them and take it to the next level of that experience. Now, speaking of experience, because I'm gonna I'm gonna pick your brain a little bit on this because I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. All right. The experience from the digital dealership and that can that hand over to the physical dealership. I still feel today. It's very disconnected, but I would love to kind of get your thoughts on it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is disconnected, um, 100%. Um, but they're disconnected um, from the beginning, right? I mean, digital and physical is a disconnection anyway. So, you know, what, what a consumer does and what a user does in, in, in a digital world is very different than what they do within, within a, a physical one. Um, you know, but you know, we, we've seen tools that have been integrated into dealerships where, you know, what, what somebody can do from a digital perspective that they can continue doing that when they're in store physically. Yes. But in reality, right. In reality, it never worked because consumers, when they came in physically, they didn't want to have a digital experience. So like, I'm here, I'm physically here now. 
So at this point, I want to have a different type of experience. And that experience might be dealing with a manager or a salesperson or looking at the car or going on a test drive. It isn't sitting there going on a tablet. Um, so, you know, I, I think we, we just have to kind of realize that, hey, they are separate. By, by default, they are separate. And so, you know, I, I think how, how can you, you know, how can you implement things in your physical uh, location to, to make that experience better, whatever it might be. So that's actually a really good point. So are, are, do you think as an industry that we've taken technology too far in the experience? A hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. We and, 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 and where, and where do you think we should go? Like what's the, what's the cutoff point? Just curious. Well, I, I don't know if they're, I mean, I think, I think the cutoff point is to ask the consumer to, to come to your store and to, to start and, and to put them into a digital experience. <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> come physically into the store. Why are you now telling them to go into a physical, into a, a digital, uh, why are you, why are you telling them to go into a digital one? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely an overplay in, um, in what we do, um, with trying to push things digitally and, and put that on onto consumers. But you look at it from any perspective. You look at it from Costco, right? You don't go in a Costco warehouse and they give you a tablet and you sit down and you start buying stuff on the tablet and then check out, right? You walk around, you go from aisle to aisle, no different than going into Best Buy, you know? So um, you got to realize, hey, if a consumer is coming into your physical location, they're looking for a different type of experience um, and you need to be able to provide it to them. It is. It all comes down to an experience. Yet I do want to try one of those Amazon grocery stores where I don't have to actually check out, though. I, I, that does fascinate me in, in, in a way because I, I hate grocery shopping. Like I, and I'll tell you the reason why I hate grocery shopping because I have three kids. And you have kids? I do, yeah. Okay, so you know what I mean by how you hate grocery shopping. See, like when, when, I, when we go grocery shopping, my kids are, are 10, 8, and 6. And oh. it's like a black ops, like, like – session it's just like okay we're going in we're going stealthy all right this is what our our objective is we're getting in we're getting out and there's going to be no noise whatsoever never works that way it's like actually a full so i'm actually (laughs) so i digress but it does come all down to the experience and that's one experience i think for me i'm actually interested in is the usage of technology in that type of environment but i i don't think that as an automotive industry we're interested in that mcdonald's or that amazon approach where i just get to go in take something and drive off with it i do want to connect with someone and that's a great segue into kind of the next uh, topic I want to start with you around UI and UX, because yeah. I think all good UI and UX all right, has to do with a connection. All right. But I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on where you think the future of UI and UX is, is for our industry. Yeah. Well, I think just, you know, for, for everybody out there, I mean, when we talk about UI and UX, we're, ta- we're talking about that, that experience that, that consumers are having. How does the, the look and the feel of the site, um, and not only that, but the navigation of it, how, how easy is it for, for your traffic to flow and, and find information that they're looking for um, is, is really important. And, you know, there there's, is kind of a renaissance kind of happening right now in the Internet. And, and I don't like using that word mobile first. It's a very cliche, um, you know, uh, statement. And it, it's but, you know, it's early, early, mid 2000s. We're beyond mobile first at this point, right? 2021 is, is beyond mobile first. So, um, 
You know, I mean, I think first of all, you need to look at your mobile device, right? And I think a lot of managers that are sitting there at their dealership are sitting in front of a desk and they got their, you know, big monitor right there. And it's very easy for them to open it up and look at their site. But that that's about 30 to 40% of your, of your customers is looking at it that way. Um, you know, most consumers are on their mobile. So, mm-hmm. you know, you need to pull out your mobile phone and you need to look at, you know, how easy is, is it to navigate? Um, how easy is it to, you know, fill out a lead form, um, you know, what, what is happening in there and what kind of experience are you creating for a consumer? Are they able to find the things that they're, um, that they're interested in and are they able to get there, um, efficiently? I think that that's really important. Um, so, you know, these are the things that you want to look at from a UI and, and UX perspective. And actually, I think that's a great exercise. I mean, I don't know how often, um, a dealership will shop themselves and just go through that online buying experience. Uh, the reason I know that it doesn't happen a whole lot because I'm actually in market right now. I hate saying that, by the way, um, openly, because there's I'm only going to get about 1,200 DMs when this podcast goes out. When people say, oh, yes, I'm in market, I'm buying a vehicle right now. Um, <laughs> I, I know a guy and a gal. I know I know a couple thousand of them. I'm probably going to get some DMs from this. Um, but But I'm going through that process right now. So I'm very much so into that that user experience, and I got to be honest with you, I'm I'm not overly impressed. Let's just say that I'm I'm not overly impressed, um, especially on a mobile device. You know, being able to, and it's you know what it is, it's not necessarily being able to get the information I want. I've actually found as an industry, all right, that. Uh, We've, we're giving the information I'm looking for, right? So I'm looking for a CPO vehicle. So it's not yeah. new, it's not used, it's this, this, it's this middle ground, right? And not a lot of dealerships actually talk a whole lot about CPO, which I'm finding I'm as just as myself going, that's not cool because I find a lot of view, a lot of value in certified pre-owned vehicles. And I'm looking for a certified pre-owned Land Rover specifically. Um, Definitely certified because I don't want to have to fix the screen when it goes out. Um, but, but but just going through that experience and trying to get the information I'm looking for. But then also the thing I find really difficult is I want to connect with someone and ask them a question. And I want, yeah. to, I want to ask that question like right now. And I can't tell you how many times I've engaged with the live chat just to find out that that live chat is just with the intent just to collect my information and have somebody contact me later. It's like, no, I... I just need a bloody answer. Can I connect with someone? And, and, and I think for me, if I start looking at what the future of kind of the internet is, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this is going to be faster and deeper connections. Um, that's where I kind of see the futures, but I'd love to kind of get your thoughts. What do you think the future you know, of the internet is? Are we looking at native apps? We saw that kind of pop up for a little while and then disappear again. I'd love to get your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think we have to look at Google. Um, I think Google is definitely a big indicator on. I'm surprised on you said talking. Google, by the way. I thought you'd say Meta, but no, I'll let you go. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, I think I think Google is, has a big influence on content, right? They they already have a big influence on the way pages are built and uh, you know uh, site speed and you know all the things that you want to do from an SEO perspective is a way to control how content is being published out there on the internet. Um, and, and Google has their own framework, right? Our, our web platform is built on Google's own framework called Angular. Um, and there's a reason why 
you know, developers and companies are allowed to use Angular um, because they want them to, right? They want them to be, they want Angular to kind of be a default base of, of how content will be built uh, in, in the web. And uh, one of the things that they're doing is kind of bringing this, you know, kind of this uh, morphing of a browser and native application. So, you know, best example is if you have a travel site that, or a, an app on your phone, um, a travel app, and, and you open up on your phone, but you go onto your browser and you open up that same website and totally two different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, is, that gap is definitely closing on, on what type of experience you can have with your browser versus what you can have within inside of a native application. Now, what would that um, look like that, for automotive? I'm just curious. I, I can see what you're saying as far as travel goes. What would, you, what would you say that would look like for automotive? Well, when, we, when we talk about native apps, we're talking about just the ability to make things look better and act differently, right? Um, So there's things that you can do from a UI and a UX perspective inside of a native application that you typically cannot do inside of a browser. Um, But that, that gap is definitely uh, closing. So that, that, that's that similarity. And, and, um, you know, and for dealers, I mean, everything is about an experience, right? And if you're able to have technology and, and have, uh, you know, different um, features that you can build into into that experience. It's going to help you and, and going to help your customers at the end of the day, right? Now, what do you think uh, for the industry is beyond the website? Uh, do you, look at, at one point in time, we saw the industry start to develop out individual dealership applications, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing the line between websites, native applications, and then an actual downloaded application. It seems like that line's getting blurred a lot right now. 100%. And, and, and I'm just trying to figure out, like, what is that? Because it, it's hard to say that the future looks like one of those three, or maybe it's all of those three, but, it, like, how, what, do you, what do you think it's going to look like in the next 10 years? What, what does the dealership's website look like in 10 years? I guess that's where I'm asking. <laughs> that, that, that one is, is, uh, is, is very tough. Um, uh, you know, I, I think you're going to have a lot more personal interaction um, within a website uh, yeah. probably in, in five or 10 years. Um, you know, so more abilities in communicating um, live with different streaming services and whatever might happen. Um, and, and I think things are going to become a lot more personalized. Um, I, I think that's one thing that we're going to start seeing in the internet is more personalization, even though we look at like privacy protection and things like that. But um, I think the experience that uh, the internet will have out there in, in the next, you know, 10 years is definitely going to be one that is more personalized. I'm going to throw one at you because I've, I've been watching my kids do this a lot. Um, my kids almost very seldomly type, you know, I, I see like, you know, me and my wife, like, you know, we'll, we'll grab our phones and we're just, Yeah, we're talking about, you're talking about voice. Voice, like my kids will talk to their devices all day long. 10-second voice clips, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we're we're actually looking at integrating that into into our sites, um, allowing consumers to be able to leave kind of short 15, 20, 30-second um, voice recordings, um, and then have them answered by the dealer. Um, yeah, I mean, that's cool. That's what a lot of people are doing today, right? You don't want to text, you just pick it up, you, you say something and you send off that voice message. Yeah. Well, it's, it's even how like we're asking questions, you know, like, I mean, I watch my kids, I maybe do it 10%. 
I watch my kids though, and I see them do it almost 90% of the time. When they want to ask a question, it's either uh, Alexa or Hey Siri or Hey Google. Um, and they proceed to ask the question. And sometimes these questions are pretty long. They're not like, what's the weather outside? It's, you know, they're, they're, and, and it's, it's cool to see these audio platforms uh, become more, be, be, get more and more advanced where they're able to co- comprehend kind of this, these multi-level questions. And I just think, you know, is there a place, you know, for automotive? Is there a point in time where instead of me engaging with an app, I'm literally just going to ask Alexa to contact my local dealership and immediately I'm talking to someone and just doing the transaction via audio. Do you think that could actually happen? I'm just curious. Or is this too visual? Is this, are we too visual of an industry that that well, won't go okay. that way? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, everything comes, everything comes in cycles, right? And, and typically uh, everything is done generationally. So, you know, as you know, our kids become older, they're going to want a different type of experience than we did. Um, and maybe it will be an audio, an audio one. Um, maybe it will be, you know, buying a car through Alexa, um, or it can be in, in some other uh, form or fashion. But uh, yeah, I think I think we're we're seeing technology, right? I mean, I think we forget that you know Google's only been around 1998, exactly. right? You know, 20, 23 years, something. You know, so um, you know, I think we forget how young technology is and how quickly it has you know changed our lives and you know good or bad. Um, but you know, our our kids are inundated with tech. You know, we kind of grew grew up without it, um, and 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 learned how to utilize it and make it part of our life. Um, but you know, it is part of our, our children's life. So to see what they do with with the tech in the 10, 15, 20 years is going to be incredible. This, this is fun, Jason, because you know what's going to happen is like fifteen years from now, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell Alexa to like schedule a service appointment for my car or something like that, and then we'll, we'll, I'll be able to take this clip back and say, look, remember when me and Jason were talking about this? Like it you actually might, happened. You might, have, you might not even have to talk. You might have like a neural link, and you just think. Yeah, I just think. Yeah, about. there we go. I'm just gonna <laughs> yeah, just a neural link. It's gonna they're gonna implant it into into my brain. I want the I want the five G chip right here in the arm. Um, <laughs> All right. Look, it's fun talking about the future, but we'll reel, we'll reel it back in. You yeah. know, um, dealers need to look at their website very differently now. Uh, we talked a little bit about this before. We're both very much so in line with this, but I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on how does a dealership or how should a dealership look at their website now? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost is, you know, they need to go on mobile. Um, and, and look at their site and they need to, you know, uh, have the mindset of a customer. I think one thing that we all forget, right. We work in the industry, the managers are sitting there and looking at their, at their computers, uh, every single day, you know, we're looking at the sites every day. Um, and I think what we forget is that consumers aren't, you know, consumers do not go into an automotive site every single day. They go in what once a year, once every two years. Um, but they are shopping every single day. So it's important to, when you know looking at, at your website, it's very important to look at it, you know, from that perspective, have a consumer perspective, go in there and, and try to uh, find 
whatever it is that you're trying to look for. Um, and, and notice your lead forms, the different buttons you have, call to actions, your chat, you know, see if there's any kind of uh, digital infighting. We love calling it, you know, this digital friction that you can have between third parties in your website. Mm-hmm. You know, chat provider popping up, blocking a, a call to action or buttons not working or things aren't responsive. I've seen so, that now. You know, so all of that is part of an experience. And, and we tell our managers all the time, our, our dealer principals and, and managers all the time, you know, give the phone to your wife, give your phone to a loved one, a friend, tell them to go on your site and, you know, tell them what you ask them what they think about it, right? Because consumers are shopping every day. Every single day they're shopping with their mobile device. So when they're coming into your website, you know, you better be able to provide an adequate experience for them in order to find the information they're looking for. And, you know, I love the fact that as an industry, we use the word experience on a very, very regular basis. Um, But what I find is that the experience is made up of a lot of little things. It's never one big thing, right? Because if it is, we usually identify it, change it, or, you know, get rid of it, or whatever the problem is, right? If whatever's creating a bad experience, we're pretty quick to identify something large and then get done with and then just remove it, right? But a good experience, a really good experience is never something big as much as just a series of little things. And I don't think we spend enough time as an industry kind of testing both our online and our end dealership experience and looking for those little things because the little things can make a huge difference. You know, for example, a little thing you brought up, uh, third-party integrations. Boy, talk about a little thing can really, really screw up, all right, the actual overall online experience. And I've seen these go terribly wrong, I'm sure you probably have too. <laughs> what are some, I'm curious, just, just for yourself, where have you seen third-party integrations go wrong right now? Um, you know, they, they go wrong all the time if you let them, right? And I think that that's a big piece of it is if you let them. Um, you know, third-party, any third-party integration that you're going to have, you, you, you should be having a conversation, you know, with that third party and your website vendor and trying to figure out the best way to implement it and not allowing one, you know, or the other to have say on, on you know, where their widget or their button or, or chat or whatever it might be uh, should be placed. Um, and you got to make sure it looks good. It, it fits the site. It, it looks right. It's not, you know, a, a sore thumb and aesthetically not, not looking very good. Um, you know, we, we see it all the time where, you know, a third-party integration is blocking a, you know, call to action, blocking a, a button, a lead form, a submit button, a, a search filters, um, et cetera. I mean, it, it literally makes the site, you know, um, useless. And uh, so it, it's really important for, for dealers when they're integrating a third-party to kind of understand how, do, how does that third-party fit into, into my current website. Well, and then I also think about like deciding like, why am I doing it? I mean, I was doing a consultation for a dealership recently and they had three different widgets on their website. I'm just going to call them widgets for just whatever, whatever they did. It was a widget, right? But three different widgets mm-hmm. with the exact same intent to just capture the pers- the customer's first name, last name, email address, phone number, blood type, shoe size, name of firstborn. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Like yeah. why the hell would you need three different, which like one popped up this way, one popped up after you exited one, you know, flashed and glowed on the VDPs. Like it was, it was getting a little ridiculous to the point where it's like, you know, 
we're putting out these user experiences, but are these user experiences really for the user or are they actually for us? And I, I find that there becomes this, this area of like this just this messy looking lunch of widgets, you know, and flashing dots and things that beep at you. And it's all for us. It's not for the user. I'm curiously, do you see this too? Or is it just me? <laughs> oh no, we, we see it all the time. You know, we, we see where, you know, the, a dealer has turned their site into Disneyland. Um, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it happens. And, you know, it, you know, I think, uh, again, that that's where there's no, there's no control. Nobody has responsibility or is taking responsibility for the integration of, you know, whatever widget that they're trying to put into the, into the site. Um, but it is, it, it, it's really important that if you're going to add any third party, which it, it, you're, you make sure that you're integrating that correctly into the site. Oh, for sure. And look, I find like if the widget doesn't have a deeply rooted operational process means it doesn't bring value to some operational process. It right. only in, in, because if, if it brings value to an operational process, all right, that brings value to both to the consumer and to the dealer, right? Both ways. It, it, well, it can, it can, it can. definitely. If it's you, done correctly, it can, right? It, depending on, yeah, if done correctly, 100%, it, it can. And I think, you know, what we've, what we've done and what we've told our dealers, and I think this is something that, you know, really should be kind of an industry uh, benchmark is when you're putting in a third party widget, you can't look at it and say how many leads it got, right? Yes. You got to, first of all, look at overall leads. Did your overall leads grow? Did your conversion metric grow or did it decrease? Mm-hmm. And then, and then that, that's number one, right? You know, if you had a, if you had 1% conversion rate and now you added that third party widget and now you're at, you know, 1.1%, okay, then maybe it had an impact. Um, but you can't look at it as a, as a standalone. Um, and in number two, you need to look at your closing rate from that third-party widget. So many times exactly. we've had dealers put in a third-party widget. Now, the consumer is going through a whole new experience. Their um, anticipation, their, you know, uh, you know, their, uh, you know, what they're expecting to receive back is different if they're going through this, you know, whatever widget uh, that you've put up, um, you know, they have a different expectation and looking at your closing rate is, is huge. I mean, we've had it where dealers are like, Hey, I got 150 leads from this third party widget. It's great. But my closing rate was only 5%. But, you know, compared if I let that consumer go through the normal process, I got, I have a 15% closing rate. So is it really helping you? Right. So ROI perspective, you really need to look at your closing rate from your third party widgets to see like, Hey, that should be my benchmark on performance, not on how many leads I'm getting, because those leads are probably just being, you know, taken away from something else. What is your closing rate from that, you know, expectation that a consumer is having when they go through that third party widget? No, I'm with you. I think you have to look at not only the closing, rate, also, I wouldn't say the engagement rate as well. Like if I'm going to add a third party integration or a widget to my website, it should be with the intent to better the user experience. And what I'm looking for is just an, an additional measurement in, in engagement. Like I'm, the more I do for the customer and I've, this is just my personal opinion. I've done it and it's worked. The more I do for the customer, the, the more I spend and allocate time in building and creating that user experience, I'm the one that ultimately actually gets the benefit of it. But I feel like we are too quick to want to just create the, an experience that's in our benefit, not necessarily the customer's benefit. You see that? 
Yeah, no, yeah. I see how you did that. That's good. Yeah, no, I mean, we do. Um, yeah, 100%. We're, we're always looking. I think dealers are always looking at ways of uh, bringing in, um, you know, new tools in order to, you know, help with, you know, the experience that they want to provide to consumers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. I think one is, is definitely looking at what am I providing to the consumer? Yes. Um, it helping them. Uh, what what is the lead rate that I'm getting or, you know, that conversion rate. But, you know, I, I want to, I want to stand by what I said before, which is, you know, you also have to look at, you know, what does that follow-up process look like from a consumer point of view? And um, the only way to look at that is, is looking at your closing rate. No, you're hundred percent right. I mean, that's, that's process first technology second. That's, yeah, and that's why I really like in, that. Yeah. I agree with you. It's just sometimes <laughs> technology can get in the way. Well, sometimes I feel as an industry, we look at technology as like uh, the magic diet pill. Like, take this pill and you'll lose 20 pounds. Buy this widget and you'll increase your leads by 10%. <laughs> it's like, if it's process first, technology second, that's how I've always seen it work. When we're, when we're technology first, this is where I see those websites will have those three or four different widgets all with the same intent of just trying to capture the customer's information. But you mentioned something. We were talking about new. And I know we're getting towards the tail end of our conversation, but I want to make sure I discuss a little bit about this before I let you go. Is There are some cool new things going on with you guys right now. And oh, yeah. um, I'd like yeah, to kind of elaborate on what's new with you guys right now. Yeah, well, I mean, um, our, our first uh, website platform was uh, we won AWA Award back-to-back 2020 and 2021, and we're, we're really proud of that. And um, we have our 2.0 platform that will be coming out in 2022. Um, and, and this thing is, you know, built from the ground up, um, automotive-centric um, website platform that is out there today, u- utilizing, again, only the best tech Um that, that is out there. So we're, we're really excited to bring that out into the industry um, beginning of the year. That's awesome. I'm excited to take a look at that. Got to make sure I'm one of the first to get a demo, right? Yeah, you will. <laughs> hey, Jason, uh, we've covered some really cool topics, but I still think there's probably more that needs to be covered. For anybody out there that's watching and listening right now uh, that would like to connect with you, maybe even continue some of these conversations, what's the best way to do so? Um, I mean, they can go nab that.com, um, would be the best way to do it. Um, obviously, uh, LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn and, and connect with me there. Um, and, um, those are definitely the two places that we can, uh, reach out and, and continue the conversation. Awesome. Hey, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me. This has been a hey, ton of fun. You. you have yourself yeah. a wonderful day. Hey, you too. Thanks again. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.